0: You're listening to Highlights from the Creative Processes Interview with David Ferrier. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michelsky Foundation. So Footprints is about what traces are going to be left of us in the deep future, what material legacies we're going to leave to future generations. In my book, I don't really think about human extinction, not in any imminent sense. I don't think that's a realistic prospect or any more than it has been since the invention of nuclear weapons, shall we say. But that I don't think is the primary thing that need concern us right now. It's our effect on on the living world. And I'm certainly aware that there's a kind of environmental writing that just turns its gaze away from the difficult situations. But I think there's a place for wonder. Nonetheless, I think we need that to motivate us. But I think that needs to be held in balance with a clear eyed appreciation of quite where we are and what time it is, how late it is. It's a function of hope. I think that we are honest with ourselves. For a long time, we've considered that nature is one of only two things. This has been said many times before, it's either a tap or a sink. It's a resource or it's waste. And we need to get away from that. We need to get away from that reductive and it's instrumental extractive mentality. Part of doing that, I think is adopting a much larger temporal perspective, thinking not just about our immediate needs or desires, thinking about the present of consumption. But thinking about how our actions play out over multiple generations, who will have to live with the consequence of these decisions. So time is doing strange things. And I think it, we need to appreciate that as well, that our mechanistic clock-based sense of time is not really serving us very well anymore. Our sense that time plays out equally everywhere, in fact, some people alive today have a lot less time available to them to adapt to the world to come than others. And that kind of injustice, I think, needs to be recognized. And to do that, we need to think differently about time. As you say, people in different parts of the world are experiencing climate change much quicker. It's really on their doorstep much more. And I don't know how up to date this statistic is, but we'll see 10,000 years of environmental change in 50 years. I don't know how that compares with the global north or the global south. Mm. It's hard to take that in. Yes, it's something like that. And it is an astonishing thought that human action is forcing kind of natural processes to accelerate at such a pace. And it's one of the difficulties of getting a handle on a kind of narrative around climate change and the climate emergency is it constantly evades us. It's playing out on scales we aren't used to think with. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. I think that's one of, one of the things I wanted to do with Footprints was to give people points of access or things they could get a handle on. If you can think about everyday materials, everyday objects as objects that will outlast us by hundreds of thousands of years in some cases, then that gives us a purchase on this very different sense of time these roads that we take for granted, that we barely even see when we're using them. I tell such a profound story about the kind of world that we've made, that we have a kind of network spanning the planet of these kind of thin gray strips. And only a fraction will persist into the, in the fossil record, maybe 1%. But I think that the sameness of these fragments will tell a story of global connectivity of a species that was able to Draw the continents together to kind of beat geological time in that sense. The continents that haven't been a kind of single mass for hundreds of millions of years. But we've kind of made a kind of new pangae, a new global supercontinent. And so the, these fragments, I think, will tell a story of how we became a species that could act on geological scales, that could do things to the planet that no species has ever been able to do, that could almost act as if the oceans weren't there, as if distance wasn't an issue. We can stitch these things together to suit our needs. So, presuming upon that, there's a great deal that they could tell, and I, an incredibly precise story they could build up about what it was like to live in the twenty third mm. century. That, like I said, we could take material from one continent and build a city out of it elsewhere. That we weren't bound by time or space in that sense. They will know us that we were an incredibly ingenious society able to invent a whole host of different shapes and forms and objects to suit our needs alongside that they might realize that for all that ingenuity we didn't manage to come up with a way to stop the sea from rising and swallowing that particular city and so a picture of kind of not just our ingenuity but perhaps our hubris as well might come out of that but i think it's the everydayness and that's one of the things i've tried to express in footprints, it's the everydayness of the traces that we're leaving. We think about the deep future as distant and what talked about happening on a scale that, that sort of, it's hard to comprehend, but really it's in our everyday interactions that we are actually connecting with this deep future. My next book, I hope will be about how the other kind of effect that we're having on biodiversity is through a kind of... Forcing of evolution, forcing of speciation, that those creatures who aren't succumbing to extinction are, are having to learn to live on a human planet by adapting their bodies, adapting their body shapes, their behaviors in ways that, some, in some cases, are leading to the development of new species. And my interest is in how we can learn from that, in ways to ourselves be more like those creatures that are learning to live on a human planet. And my hope is that in doing that, We can arrest some of the more dramatic changes that we can create a planet that is livable for all beings. And this is not to put a sort of falsely positive spin on this. As I said, and we all agree we're in the midst of an extinction crisis, but I think we have to recognize that we're having other impacts on biodiversity, not just eliminating it, but also altering it, what it looks like, what constitutes it and Yeah, I think recognizing that is vital, really. We've created a human planet, a planet that is increasingly organized to serve one particular species, us, and the rest of life has to work around that. But I feel that there are lessons to be learned in observing how the rest of life is doing that kind of work of adapting and learning to live on a human planet. Learning, I'd say, better than we are currently, to live sustainably on a human planet. I I do want to go back to the authors, the poets who have really helped you make sense of these new timeframes. I know you admire the work of Borges, Barth, Seamus Heaney. Just tell us what you find in their work and maybe how they help you make these imaginative leaps into the future. I think a poem is a wonderful device. For challenging our sense of the real, of the world around us, and how things are connected in particular. Whether it's through patterning of sounds or the arrangement of line breaks, poems are always suggesting to us new and perhaps unconsidered ways in which seemingly unlike things can be drawn into a relationship with one another, perhaps have always been in a relationship that we haven't understood. And in algebraic poetics, I talk about the thick time of lyric poetry, how our poem can bring many different times and time scales together, or can help us to think about the planetary time alongside the time of a passing moment or time on a human scale, as if these things are totally at hold together, which of course they are. We just haven't been taught to see that, but if we get hooked on the power of that idea without then taking the initiative and really learning about what's actually happening to our planet. I think, again, it's a kind of distraction and it might not be a kind of pacifying one. It's sort of distracting ourselves with a horror film, maybe rather than with a rom-com. But at the same time, I think writing that just leans into the kind of the lyrical or the sublime without grounding those effects in the science, I guess, probably risking something. I think the most important thing is to try to stay open, to be influenced by my students. That for me, teaching is not a one way street. It's not simply a case of me saying, and I'm learning, but it's a case of kind of all of us together, working things out and building an understanding together. What we get from the course is something that we all put in. It's a collaboration. And I certainly feel that I learn a great deal from my students. I hope they learn as much from me as I learn from them. I think it's true for all species. I think animals learn about their world through their interaction with co-species as well, They no animal lives in isolation, really, that they make their worlds together. And I think we need to adopt that attitude as well to recognize that we make our world. Together, we make our understanding of it together, collaboratively, through cooperation. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episode or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.